raise the bar on health, and live with maximum vitality. This is the Vitality Podcast with Andrea Page. Andrea is a Bali-based naturopath redefining health as living with maximum vitality. Tune in for practical life advice and start aligning with what your body wants. Our bodies are trying to talk to us. Let's listen. Okay, 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 okay. You can have dinner with them afterwards. How does that feel? Or you can have a cucumber. Or three of them. I won't limit your cucumbers. How does that feel? You guys came with each other. That's cheating. Do you feel different now than before you talked to those people? Yeah. She's like, I'm confident in that. That felt good. Yeah. I'm going to go and introduce myself to people. That's what life is about, this connection. Right? That, that being able to extend beyond your little mind and your little body, your little self, and to expand and really tap into someone else's experience. That's what learning's about, really. And then that person's experience tends to help enhance your own in a way that then you can start to experience things differently based upon what they described. And this is a process that I work with a lot. It's the process of taking knowledge and turning it into wisdom. Yeah, because knowledge is someone else's stuff. It's stuff that you read or you heard, right? It's stuff you learned from your friend you just met. But it becomes wisdom when you start to experiment with it in your own life. Yeah? So we'll open class this way tonight because that's what I try to hold in this space is um, the cultivation of wisdom. Yeah? Or perhaps the spark that comes before that. To give a bunch of ideas here. Yeah? I won't even call it knowledge. I'll just call them ideas. And that those ideas you can then take and really start to experiment with and see what works, what you want to throw out. Like, let me know. Let me know how it goes later. Maybe in a year, half a year, whatever. I'm here. And then later on, you'll start to develop your own wisdom. And when you live from your center and your own truths and your own wisdom is when you start to live in balance. And balance is health. And that's what tonight is about. So welcome to the Monday Night Health Talks. My name is Andrea. I'm the director of the detox department here at the Yoga Barn. And we come together every Monday night. And I was thinking a lot about my job today because I've been stuck here all day. Mondays are my longest day. It's a straight-on 12-hour day. Uh, but during the only time that I had a little break in the day, there was pouring down rain, and so I was going nowhere at all. I just stayed in my office, and I got to reflect. Right? The quality of reflection is something that we often lack from our lives, and that's very hand-in-hand with a lack of health. Have you guys noticed that people have gotten less healthy over, like, the past 10, 20, 30 years? That should be pretty obvious to most. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to say it, because we don't often talk about it. We know it, but we don't often talk about it. People have gotten really unhealthy, and we tend to look at it from a victimization standpoint, where we're like, yeah, you know, all of these poor people getting cancer, right? And my great aunt and Sally Joe and not my neighbor, right? They all got cancer. Oh, poor them. Right? That victimization standpoint where it's like, why? Why me? Right? When indeed the thing is that our health is in our own hands. 
And we have to start turning that knowledge, which is in the mind, into wisdom, which happens in the body. And so a lot of the work that I do in this space and in all spaces is empowering people to take what's here and start to apply it here and here. Because when you hear from your belly or when you hear from your heart or your gut or that intuition, that knowing, oh yes, this is what I want, this is what I don't want, this is how I actually feel when I do this, right? And this is what actually makes me feel good. I wrote a letter um, to my parents, a, I don't know, quite a few years ago. It like came through me, you know, one of those things where you're really connected and you feel like you're channeling. Right? This was a letter of absolute devotion and love where I was kind of just letting go of any pressure that I put upon them. And I said to them in the letter, or whatever came through me in the letter, I said, you know, just, I want you to feel good. Really good. So do whatever it is that makes you really, truly feel good. And someone might read that and say, well, they're going to go and snort cocaine and <laughs> do all this other crazy stuff and they'll feel real good. <laughs> right? But that wasn't what I was talking about. That wasn't the sentiment. Right? It was about really feeling good, truly feeling good. Right? Because what happens after you snort cocaine? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't know, but <laughs> my guess is... That you, yeah, there's a calm down. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. Right? Other people's knowledge to your own wisdom. <laughs> oh God, what is this talk going to be like tonight? Okay? So, you see, feeling good is not a momentary thing. It's this underlying connection that outlasts everything else, the highs and the lows. Right? It's that underlying awareness, balance, knowing, Right? That trust in yourself. It's all of that and more. Okay? So perhaps that can be an invitation to you as well. Feel good. Really, truly feel good. Be on a crusade to see what it is that empowers you to feel good. And my mission, a lot of why I hold this space on Monday nights, is to help people raise the bar on health. Because it's been way too long that we've collectively defined health as living with absence of disease. Just because you're not sick, that means you're healthy. Right? Well, as I talked about with some of the cleansers today, there's a lot more. There's a lot more to life. And so one of my many missions is to raise the bar on health so we can return to that state that we were in as a child, that unbridled state where we could wake up in the morning and say, oh yeah, right? I'm on this natural cocaine and I'm going to live life right? and feel good. Right? And do something with that and be and fulfill my purpose in life, that six-year-old says. Right? Oh my God. I have to tell you, yesterday I was here at Ecstatic Dance and uh, the DJ, Rob Weber, was anyone at dance yesterday? Yeah. So Rob is a longtime Bali Spirit family and uh, he has a little son. And I didn't realize that it was his son when this happened, but afterward I was like, oh, so Rob's son was downstairs and I was playing with my dog and his son is like running up and he's like, you have no idea how awesome I am. And then he runs on. And that just made me laugh so hard. And I was like, yes, yes, I have no idea. You are so awesome. I understand this much of it. And so like embracing that essence inside of us where we remember how awesome we are. Because that has a lot to do with feeling good. Yeah, and we tend to get down on ourselves a lot. Right? We tend to abuse ourselves a lot and abuse our health. 
Those are the same thing. And so remembering how awesome we are, right? Embracing the fact that we can actually feel that good, right? Trusting in our body. This is a big one. Trusting in our body, that it has the power and the intention and the desire to heal itself. That's a big one. That's the thesis of natural medicine. The body can and will heal itself when allowed, when given the time and space to do so. And so that's what we do here in the fasting programs, right? Because fasting is the ultimate, like, all right, hands off, body, do what you want, when you want, how you want. And the body's like, hallelujah. Yeah? And so we have a few fasting alumni in the room. We have some cleansers who are on their day one or day eight. <laughs> we have some detox retreat alum in the back, right? These are people who have been through fasting and survived and I think probably been better off from it. <laughs> so you can talk to them afterward if you'd like. Right? Some cleanse alum as well. And when we start to get into that space of reconnecting to our body and our own inner life force power is when we can run across the ecstatic dance floor and say, you don't know how awesome I am, <laughs> right? Because that awesomeness is coming from that inner power. Right? We call it chi in Chinese medicine, ki in Japanese medicine, and I learned today in, in Korean it's also ki, ki, I think she said. And then in yoga, right, in Sanskrit, we call it prana. Yeah. And this is what we truly are. But humans today are living so disconnected. We know that we're disconnected from the earth, right? When was the last time you had dirt under your fingernails? Right? When was the last time you walked barefoot on the earth? We know that we're disconnected, right? We live in skyscrapers, in concrete buildings, with internet networks everywhere, right? But the earth is an extension of us in the form of prana. That's the connection that we have with all living things. And so the more we tap into that, guess what? The better we feel. And so if tonight, I guess the subject's going to be feeling good, <laughs> that's what developed. <laughs> that's how we do it, by tapping in. And so that little exercise that we did at the beginning where you had to meet someone new, right? and checking how you felt before that to after that, right? most of you felt better. And so using that exercise, perhaps, next time you're in an awkward situation, next time you're in a room of people you don't know, right? just open your heart and say hi. Because yeah? a lot of the research I'm doing today, I promise this gets back to the body, it's not airy-fairy spiritual stuff. A lot of the research I'm doing today grounds that back in our human physiology. Okay? So if I were to, let's say, strap you up to some neurological measurement device, right? I had nerve sensors all over your brain and your body, right? I was also dictating or detecting, let's say, maybe your blood pressure, your heart rate, all of these other vital life force signs. And I took them before you went and met someone, and then I took them afterwards. I would probably find that your blood pressure would drop. I would probably find that maybe for some of you, if you got into a heated debate, your heart rate might rise. But in general, right, it might drop. The nerve sensing activities, you would have less anxiety afterwards than you did before. And the thing is that these things, high blood pressure, anxiety, right, that's essentially stress in the body. And when we can eliminate stress is when the body can be in that place of balance where you feel good, right? And that place of balance, or the restarting of the parasympathetic nervous system, 
is what allows for healing and reparation. And healing isn't something that you do after you have cancer. Healing is something that you do every single morning when you wake up and get out of bed. Healing is detoxification. Healing is repair. Healing is every breath you take. And we all need healing. That's the virtue of living in the 21st century world, in those skyscrapers and with the Wi-Fi networks running everywhere. It is a constant pursuit of healing. Does that make sense? Okay, so I'll finish my intro and then I want to open it up and we'll do maybe a rainy day special or talking about feeling good or whatever else you want to talk about. Uh, The rest of my introduction is showing you my cards, essentially. I find it very important that people who um, can speak for like 40 minutes, like I will, before I open it up to questions, uh, that I probably have some opinions or agenda, and so I prefer to tell you what that is beforehand. So I'm a doctor of naturopathic medicine, which means that I use non-surgical and non-pharmaceutical techniques to heal people. Yeah, And I don't actually claim any ownership of healing people. I'd rather just empower people to take the own, their own reins on their healing journey. Right? And I might give some ideas, again, ideas on how to do that. That's all I do. Beyond that, I have a Master's of Science in Ethnobotany, the study of the relationship between people and plants. My specialty in that is gastroethnobotany, so food plants. It's a big interest to me in how people use them and what kind of plants and how to use them and why and all of that other stuff. Right? Maybe how to use them to feel good, although that's not so much of my interest. <laughs> and then, <laughs> that was back to the cocaine joke. <laughs> All right. Anyway, and then uh, I'm the director of the colonics clinic here. I'm a career colon hydrotherapist, so I have a large bias toward the large intestine and elimination, something that we don't do enough. So cleansers, how many times a day are we supposed to poop? Once per meal per day. Yeah, that should be news to those of you who have never seen my face before. I heard my voice before. I have a podcast series now. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm the only one who thought that was funny. So, good. Uh, when we are eating, we should be eliminating once per time that we eat. Something goes in, something goes out. Just like babies, just like dogs. And when we think about it, it makes a lot of sense. But we tend to be quite stuck up or stuck in or backed up or anal retentive today, and we don't let stuff out. And so that practice that we did at the beginning, where you talk to someone, that's an act of letting stuff out, right? Any tension or anxiety or anticipation for what this lecture is about or why you're here, your excitement for being in Bali, you got to share it. You were letting it out rather than holding it in. Does that make sense? All right, well, it's the same thing with not having constipation, letting it out rather than holding it in, okay? So, uh, I think that's enough on my biases. Uh, I would love if anyone has any questions or reasons why they came tonight. Things that they want to learn about. Rainy day special. You get to choose the content. Yes.
Okay. Okay. Cool. Welcome, guys. Come on in. Get a bolster. <laughs> okay. So awesome. Welcome. Um, so that could be a subject. Could be something like sluggishness. Yeah. I don't want to call it the name of this lecture because I um, I did that once. Uh, what was it? Was anyone here for that lecture? Were you here for that? I called it um, congestion. That was it. I called a lecture congestion, and it was the worst feeling in the room that I had ever had. It was like everyone was like when I listened to the recording, it was horrible, and it was because I called the lecture congestion. So we can talk about the sluggishness, but let's talk instead about movement. If we can talk about movement, all right. So we'll talk about that. That will be the title. Anyone else have anything that they want to throw in? And we'll do a rainy day special. That means that you guys throw out ideas and I weave them together somehow into a lecture. Yeah? Cocaine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're never going to live that down. <laughs> yeah, cool. We can talk about that. Talk to some of you guys about that already. Yeah. Especially in our body, but you know that it's body, it's feelings, it's actions, emotions, and everything. I have a feeling that a lot of these things they come from from a long way, which is beyond us, us mm. as physical. You know? So it's something that is genetics, my lineage, my family, my ancestors, and everything. So um, then I have a hard time trying to understand why do I behave in a certain way or why do I behave in another way and I try to change that sometimes and sometimes I feel that this track that I've been doing over and over again is so strong that sometimes you know when you have a moment where you are not aware of something that you keep doing you keep going into that track which is not yours in the sense that it's not mine as a person but it comes from from far for me. So, as we were talking about like feeling happy, sometimes I feel that there's like a, um, a tendency, like in my lineage, of not being happy. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Okay. Well, as you were saying before, like um, when you say things, huh, you say something like, oh, that's not bad. So, you want to say this is good, and you say this is not bad. So, this is something that comes from a step before that. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Okay. So these reflects in my body as well. Cool. Awesome. So a few things. So we'll start there. I take three on rainy day special, so I'll cap it at that. If you guys have questions, come back next week. Uh, thank you, all three of you, for that submission. Um, looking at perhaps linguistic programming and the effect on the body as well as genetic inheritance. Looking at movement. I'll include all of that for sure. Looking at caffeine and the effect of it on movement. Those are easy. Okay. All right. So I'm going to start here. I'm going to start with the third one, and then we'll go that way. Um, when we talk about the brain and the brain's ability to process and absorb, it's tremendous, right? I'm not a neuroscientist at all. Any neuroscientist perhaps doesn't have a view of the entire body. Like now, finally, neuroscience is getting into looking at the importance of our microbiome something which I know a lot more about than neuroscience, 
right? But the effect of that, which is the good bacteria in our guts, on our brain and our sense of happiness, okay? So if we take your question, let's just take the genetic inheritance question at a very basic level, at a physical, this world reality level, we can say, all right, well, let's look and see if the soil that your father had was depleted in soil-based microorganisms, right? In, in good bacteria, right? If he was deficient in good bacteria. And if you inherited that from not only your father, but also your mother, since you came through her vaginal canal and that was the first real pickup, right? Do you guys know that? When you come through the vaginal canal, that's the first real exposure to good bacteria. So babies born C-section are inherently having, going to have a weaker immune system for most of their life unless they can do a lot of remedial rebuilding, right? In early years, that's important to know. Right, so the vaginal birth is very important. Anyway, so that was a tangent. Getting on to this and saying, okay, well, what are the things that I've inherited from my father that's beyond genetics? So we're looking at, like, nurture rather than nature, yeah? And so the things that are around me. So perhaps it was the linguistic usage of things, right? Saying the word not. So something that I think perhaps I would recommend to you, something which I don't have a lot of experience with, is neuro-linguistic programming, NLP. Do we have any NLP experts in the room? No? So there's a guy who gives talks here on Thursday nights, Rodolfo. He's a good friend of mine. He gives heart talks. He's an NLP master, so you can come and talk to him about that. But um, neuro-linguistic programming is looking at how we use language, how we say things, how we ask questions, to look at like really what's said between the words and how the brain interprets that. So, for example, not bad versus, well, that's pretty good, right? That's going to have a tremendous effect upon not only how our body responds inside, but how the person who hears that feels it. And so, yeah, I mean, you're, you're completely right on that trajectory. How can we start to positivize our life? I just made up that word. <laughs> So this is something I work with, I'm starting to work with a lot because I have the tendency from Spanish language to say no a lot. Uh, like I'll be agreeing with you or I'll be adding to what you're saying and I'll say no and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> for no reason I say no. And so this is something I've become conscious of lately to try to get that out of my vocabulary and out of habit. And so I think that you're asking on that front a really simple question about languaging. Does languaging have an effect upon our body and our health? And the answer is 100% yes. And so it's simple. It might seem, again, airy-fairy, but filling your room, your walls, your journal, the background of your cell phone wallpaper, the background of your computer wallpaper, right, the steering wheel on your car, with positive phrases or aphorisms can have a huge effect on health. And now something that I do have more expertise in than NLP is Vedic Mantra in Sanskrit. Yeah, I study Vedic chanting in South India and I have for many years. And Sanskrit's a very special language in that it's a vibratory language. And so when you say something in Sanskrit, or rather chant it at the correct tones, it actually creates the environment of whatever it is. The simplest example I can give you is Shanti. Does anyone know what Shanti means in English? Peace. Yeah, you're yogis, you know this. Right? So if I say Shanti, 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 right, it's just a word because I've taken it into the English language. Right, but if I chant it correctly at the right trope and I say, Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. It actually creates an aura of peace around me. 
Yeah, I feel it. I don't know if you feel it. I feel it. it was like, whoosh. Right? And you'll see this in India. Little boys will be chasing each other, fighting like little boys do, right? when they're not saying, I'm awesome. <laughs> They'll be fighting in the street in India, and then it'll get a bit too rough. You know, maybe one of them's bigger than the other, and one will turn around and say, Shanti, 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 and like try to change the energy of the interaction, because that's what all of this is, is energy. That's what you did at the beginning of class, was exchange energy. You allowed energy to go, to a move, right? Rather than holding it in, rather than allowing it to be constipated. And so everything in essence is energy. And so where we put the energy, what I'm going to title this lecture, if I title it sluggishness or movement, right? It's going to have a whole different effect on what happens. So that's a little bit about the linguistic side of what you were asking. Another side of what you were asking was about genetic inheritance, literally. And um, I would say that allopathic medicine, which is the dominating science-based force of medicine that we've taken as the authority over the past hundred years or more, right? it has, in my opinion, and in studies that I could show you to support this, said too much about genetic inheritance. It has given genetic inheritance too much credence, right? It's said that perhaps genetics plays a bigger role than it actually does in our health and our illness, all right? So if you're, you're observing that, like, it's, it's a common thing in your family to just be unhappy. Well, there are a few things that I would say to that. I myself, I'm an amateur astrologer, and I kind of view the world in the pretext of astrology. And astrology is not something airy-fairy. It's a very, very scientific practice that when you look at any ancient culture, what do they have? The stars, right? What moves at a calculated mathematical formula? The stars. What has a tremendous influence upon Earth? The stars. You better bet when the moon is full, the tides are going to rise outside of the body as well as inside of the body. And so there's a lot more to this than meets the eye, right? But through astrology, we can see that your... your Let's say your habitual way of being, if that's kind of like, rather than, right, like more subdued rather than excited, you could say, that that would be reflected by your astrological chart. So whether you have a similar astrological chart to your father and your grandfather or your grandmother or whomever else, right, that could maybe play a role in genetics. And the Balinese would tell you probably more than any other culture I've ever met in the world that you inherit or you reincarnate, rather, your family lineage, yeah? A Balinese astrologer and shaman who was reading my Akashic records told me that I'm a reincarnation of my maternal great-grandmother, right? And so it's, it's that family lineage which indeed you're passing on. And so perhaps I'm living out some of the ways in which she was living out. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So there's all of that that could be there, but scientifically, or let's say on a medical front, I'm really, 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 really super happy to report that a study just came out out of uh, New York State. A university was doing research and finally showed 70 to 80% of cancers are preventable, which means that they're not genetically inherited. And we've been on this great old cancer kick for about the last 40 to 50 years, right? Where people are saying, oh yeah, oh my God, why me? Or, oh yeah, oh, my, my mother and my sister and my grandmother had breast cancer. Oh, I go and get a mammogram five times a year, right? 
and things like this. And we, we start to give too much credit to genetic inheritance. But the thing about that, and this is speaking to your question as well, is that that's not just about genetics. Because if your mother was angry all the time, right, you would inherit that anger all the time. If your mother habitually ate a bag of potato chips for dinner, right, you're going to inherit that habit of eating a bag of potato chips for dinner. Right? If your mother didn't drink very much water and she passed on to you the habit of dehydration, by all means, you're going to take that. But none of that has anything to do with the genetic programming inside of your body. Yeah? When we look at epigenetics today, which is a much more exciting field, it shows that we actually have the power to transform our own DNA. Right? So whatever bad habits that you guys inherited, don't worry. You can pass on better ones to your kids, both nature and nurture. Yeah, and so I'll, I'll try to post that study soon. I just found it yesterday. Um, about 70 to 80 percent of cancers being preventable. And this is the stuff that I talk about all the time. In fact, I would say it's actually much higher than that. Yeah, more like 90 percent or more of cancer is preventable, as with many other diseases. And a lot of the work I do, I didn't say this in my biases, perhaps I should have, but a lot of the other work I do is based upon disease pausing and reversing, especially my studies under Colin T. Campbell from Cornell. University, we look at the China study, which is the longest clinical nutrition study ever done in the history of man, and there are lots of flaws with it, as there are with any 40-plus year clinical study, right? But it showed, it proved under the realms of science effectively that the five most prevalent maladies of today, of course, cancer, as we've talked about, autoimmune diseases, obesity, heart disease, and diabetes are not only completely preventable, but also pausable and reversible by diet and lifestyle change alone. And so diet and lifestyle change. Well, let's go with lifestyle change first. What does that lifestyle change include? You better believe lots of movement, right? Both outside the body and inside the body. Lots of hydration. That's what helps with the movement, and we'll get there, right? Other lifestyle changes, changing, <laughs> changing your thoughts, right? The words you use, yeah? how you feel about yourself or life, right? Getting a new perspective, coming to Bali, <laughs> taking a holiday, spending some time in a great big yoga center where you're surrounded by this self and positive people all day long, right? That kind of stuff, that's lifestyle change. And then, yeah, the other part is diet, dietary change. And the simpler we eat, point blank, the easier it is on our body to digest, the less amount of energy the body will spend upon digestion and the more energy the body gets to spend either healing, cleansing, detoxifying or living like that six-year-old and feeling really, really good. And so what does that diet change look like? It looks like eating a whole lot more plants. Tons of fruits and vegetables. This is not new news. Right? You have heard that fruits and vegetables are good for you. Well, I give people the license to eat way more of them. And whatever you think more is, three times that. Yeah? You want me to tell you what I ate today? I, you, I don't usually do this because I find that people find I'm a really big extremist. But what, for whatever reason, I find it's helpful tonight. So let's see. I was working all day. I think I ate maybe six or seven or eight bananas first, right? Then I waited a little bit. I had a whole bunch of rambutan. Do you know rambutan? 
Rambut means hair in Indonesian. And so it's the hairy fruit. It's the red one with all the little hairs coming off, right? Whole bunch of rambutan. Then I waited a while, right? I had three mangoes. They were really good. Mango season's great now. And they were the best I think I've ever had. I got them from an organic farmer's market yesterday. And then after that, I had a head of lettuce. Yeah, gorgeous baby romaine. And then you saw me. I was coming in here. I had two cucumbers. And so that's by no means restriction. That's actually abundance. And that's about as simple as you can get, right? I'm eating one thing at a time. Really simple. Those of you who were here last week for the food combining lecture, you know the importance of simplicity for the organ of the stomach. Right? And I'm eating in abundance, in great quantity. So I'll feel fulfilled, right? And by now, I mean all of that's left my stomach. So I have all this energy to be here and give this lecture. Have you sometime maybe in your life, you've eaten a really heavy big meal or something? Not even so heavy, just like a meal with so many ingredients. The modern human meal has more than 50 ingredients in it today. And you sit down with that meal and afterwards you feel a bit sluggish. right? So when I would be giving this lecture, maybe my mind would delay a little bit. My words wouldn't come out so fast. I wouldn't be able to be fully present with you because I would be preoccupied inside of my body. One of the many symptoms that I have people circle on our intake form at colonics is foggy-headedness, right? Has anyone suffered from that? Yeah. So what does that have to do with digestion, with the energy flows in your body? Right? It has a lot to do also with your microbiome. Right? But for a healthy, flourishing microbiome, you need prebiotics. And this is the thing that's not publicized as not enough because you can't put it in a bottle and sell it. Probiotics have become quite popular over the past 10 years because there's an industry there. Right, really good quality probiotics are really expensive. Right, but they're still made in the laboratory. There's no guarantee that your body will understand them or be able to absorb them. Food-based probiotics are always the best source. Yeah, because they're real. Your body can digest them. You see that? And so, beyond that though, no good bacteria probiotic is going to be able to implant itself in your body without a happy alkaline environment to host it. And that happy alkaline environment is created by fruits and vegetables, which are full of prebiotics. Yeah? They're the pre-requirements for the helpful life form to implant itself. All right, so lots of juice in your question. I think we're gonna, we'll move, we'll move on. We'll move first to, I'll ask you to save questions to the end, just because I go on so many tangents anyway. Okay, you already asked it. What is it? <laughs> I never say anything's better than anything else. Everything's wonderful in my heart. Um, fruit has a fibrous matrix inside of it to slow down the absorption of the naturally occurring sugars, which fuel our brain. Right? Our brain runs off of sugar. We need sugar. Unfortunately, there's only one name for sugar, so that white powdered stuff, I'm not talking about cocaine. I'm talking about sugar. Right? That has the same name as fruit sugar, Right, in scare quotes, whereas they're very, very different things. Completely processed completely differently in the body. I think I have two podcasts about this very topic up online, so check out my website later and download those, and you can hear a whole hour answer to your question. Um, leafy green vegetables are our best friend. We cannot replace them. Um, they are super special. They're not necessarily better, but they're super special. Yeah. All right, so getting to the topic of caffeine, 
right? Which is an external stimulant. So this is always fun because I like to talk about this. Um, because this theme, the theme of this class was about connection, prana, feeling good, because we're tapped into our own intuitive internal life force energy, right? Well, the thing is that caffeine or any other external stimulant, sometimes that could even include like too much cacao. I know, what a sin to say that in Ubud. <laughs> right? Or maca, right? Things like that. Of course, but cocaine is natural too. The coca leaf, man. Right, you see? And so when we get down to it, any kind of stimulant concentrated like that, yeah, is going to detach us or disconnect us from our own internal life force energy, our own internal sense of stimulus. Because if we're getting it from outside, our body is never going to produce it inside because the message is coming from elsewhere. Does that make sense? This is chapstick theory at its basis. And I love talking about chapstick theory because it always throws people out of the water. So chapstick theory is when you put on chapstick, have you ever done this? Lip balm, I don't know what the generic name is. I think chapstick is a brand name. Yeah? Okay, you put it on and you're like, oh, I feel pretty good. I look good. Right? And then a half hour later, you're like, I need some more. <laughs> right? You put it on again and you're like, all right, I feel pretty good. I look good. And then you're like, God, another half hour. I'm going to put more on. And you find that this is kind of an addictive substance. What effectively physiologically has happened in your body is that as you put on the lubrication from outside, the body has a message, oh, already lubricated, don't need to send any hydration or lubrication from inside, right? And so since the body's not balancing itself out like that, as it always wants to do, because balance is health and the body always wants to heal itself, you're going to get dry lips eventually and need more and more and more and more until you've made the chapstick industry a lot of money, yeah? So the same thing can be said for shampoo, body lotion, any of these other kinds of external sources of, we could say, stimulus, or in this case, it's hydration, right? So what do I use for chapstick? It's right here in an orange bottle. It's called water, Because <laughs> okay? as we hydrate the inside, it's going to help with the outside. Now, I know, like, if you live in the Nordic circle or something like that, it might get a little blistery on your lips and you might need some protection. I understand that. But still understand this, this underlying essence. If you're using chapstick in Bali, why? <laughs> yeah? Okay? So that's the original chapstick theory, as I like to dictate it. And we can apply this to caffeine. In terms of when you're taking that external stimulus, and I get it all day, every day, clients saying... Oh, I just need that little pick-me-up, right? Just give me that little pick-me-up. You know, it gives me so much. I like to feel alert and good. Well, what I'm here to say is that under all of that, you do already feel alert and good. You just have to get all that stuff away. You have to get it moving and out so that you can be alive in that alertness and that goodness. And so a, a byproduct, we could say, of fasting is tremendous amounts of clarity, where you feel that vitality, that life force, that clarity within you. Does that make sense? Yeah? So the thing is you can simplify things, stop putting in things like caffeine, right? And that will reconnect you more to your internal life force. That paired with hydration and the stuff that we're going to talk about when we get to the third question and the movement part of this lecture um, will hopefully answer. Does that help? Yes, I mean... Yeah, I mean, there's a lot more to say. I don't know if you're specifically asking about coffee. Um, 
or what, but... Yeah, that's what I think. I think that it's kind of like this crutch, kind of like cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> um, chocolate botanically doesn't actually have caffeine in it. It has theobromine in it, which is a very different chemical. Um, so it's a bit different, but it is still a stimulant. And so these are things that are medicinal foods. The cocoa leaf, right? The cacao bean. We can have ceremony with them. But to have them on a daily basis is not respecting their medicinal value. And I cannot stress that enough as an ethnobotanist. Yeah? All right, so let's get over here to movement so I can try to give you guys some question time. So talking about an internal um, lack of movement in the body uh, denotes a need for movement. And so at its most macroscopic basic form of this, this is going to look like movement. And, you know, I've, I've been a yoga teacher for 10 or more years, and I... Really, I've trained in many, 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 many different styles, yeah? And I have a big bias these days. I mean, I love restorative yoga. A lot of you came from my restorative yoga class. But I really, there's almost nothing that replaces a really well-balanced vinyasa flow class. And I don't mean that in the way where a teacher's pushing you too hard and you lose your breath and your nervous system feels like that and shaky. I mean that in the way where you're going side to side, upside down, back and forth, lots of reminders for a slow, long, deep breath, right? Where you can keep your nervous system in control. You actually don't sweat so much. Believe it or not, I'm wearing the same clothes that I wore to yoga this morning. I didn't even shower or change because I have that much control over my physiology where I'm not sweating that much. My body's not in a mode of panic or freak out. Right? You're going to give me a hug afterwards and smell me. I know it. <laughs> right? But you see, we can start to move things through actual movement. And so that's number one. For anyone who's struggling with any kind of constipation in their body, whether that's on a cellular level, whether that's on their thighs, whether that's like internally or mentally, move. Yeah, it doesn't have to be vinyasa flow, but the thing is, like I love dance parties. I put on music at the beginning. Sometimes I start this class with requiring people to have a dance party. However... They're not going to get you to go upside down as much as you would in the vinyasa flow class. And the thing is, the default human position is like this way too much. Whereas we're the only true bipedal beings on earth. We're the only true species that does stand on two legs, right? Even our very close genetic cousins, the great apes, right? They still use their, their wrists, right? And the, their knuckles, right? <laughs> and so we find that because of that, that lifting up, we have tons of flow this way and not so much flow back up this way. So if you've been with me long enough or you took my teacher training or you've done two detox retreats already, these lovely people in the room that I love so much, you know that I encourage almost everyone to put their bum against the wall and their legs up the wall. This is a pose in yoga called Viparita Karani. And there's almost nothing that can give us the grounded effect of that washing down, that movement at a very subtle, relaxing level. And so that's the first thing. Well, I guess moving physically was the first thing. So this is the second thing that I would recommend for movement, all right? Other things that we've already talked about. Movement in terms of processing, all right? So psychosomatic medicine is probably the smartest medicine that there is. Psychosomatic medicine is a demonstration of showing that there's more to the body than meets the eye because it comes in the mind. 
Yeah? So, uh, for example, I have a dear friend, um, someone who's also a yoga teacher and a health coach. He lives in France now. Um, he's half, half Norwegian, half Jamaican. Great mix, right? Good friend of mine from back in the day in India. And he lived in Japan for nine years. And during that nine years, he somehow got more and more crippled with tremendous amounts of back pain to the point where he was walking with a cane. This is a young guy, right? Now he's maybe, I think, late 40s. But at that point, he was like late 30s, yeah? Walking with a cane. He went to every doctor under the sun and said, what is this? What is wrong with me? No one could find anything until he goes to more of a psychologist type or a body-mind-spirit medicine doctor, right, who said, you, you're holding it all in. He's Mr. Nice Guy. I hope he doesn't listen to this recording. <laughs> He's, do, you know, do you know one of those people who they're just nice to everyone? And they're just that nice, loving person. And you can always count on them. And they're just nice. Just so nice. Yeah? He was holding it all in. All of this aggression, all of this fear, whatever it is. He's written a book about it. You can read his book. And so what this doctor told him was right. Just write. And I use this in all of my programs. Pen to paper and go. It doesn't matter what comes out. This is what I say, not what he says now. Just write. Just go. As soon as you finish, tear it out, tear it up, throw it away. That's the detox for the mind and the emotions. That's the movement of that which is stuck inside of us. So my friend Pablo, he did this. He did this exercise. He wrote and he wrote and he wrote, and day after day, he threw out the, co- the cane, not the cocaine. <laughs> he threw out the cane. He took one step in front of the other. He felt better and better and better. And now today, he's back to himself. In fact, he's probably younger in his body than he's ever been before. And so what was it that was crippling him? Well, I mean, he was a really tall, half-black man with really long dreads and lanky arms and legs living in Japan. Right? Where they're in a box and tight and proper. Right? There was a lot of pressure put upon him. And so perhaps that was being held in his body. And so whatever it was to get that to move, psychosomatic medicine is something that cannot be underestimated. When it seems like there's no answers, that you've tried everything, right? sometimes it's not in the body. It's in the mind. Yeah? Other ways of movement, so I'll talk about the stuff I think you want me to talk about, are definitely through the bowels. Yeah. So you already heard me say we're supposed to be moving our bowels once per meal per day. If you're eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner, that's three times a day. Right? That requires hydration. It requires a position of squatting to poop. And it requires giving yourself time, going to the toilet when you don't even think you have to. And really just opening the window for your body to walk through. Because remember, your body wants to heal itself. It wants to poop, I promise. Yeah? It requires strengthening of the muscles of the abdomen. And this is done externally as well as internally. All right? So externally, strengthening of the muscles of the abdomen. Something like Pilates or maybe a really intentional, well-taught vinyasa flow class where the teacher is constantly cueing Uddiyana Bandha, right? Our abdominal lock, tucking in of the lower ribs. Paying attention to the strength in this area, right? The obliques, the transverse abdominus, the rectus abdominus. Right? Really strengthening, because that's what's going to give you the power to move on your own. Alternatively, or in addition, rather, I'll say that um, the kind of colonics that we practice here are Woods Method Gravity Colonics. 
Now, they're very different than like 90% of the colonics in the world. So unfortunately, I'm a colon hydrotherapist, but I don't recommend most colonics. Yeah? Whenever you see a machine, there's pressure exerted on the body. It's like having a garden hose up your bum. I would not recommend anyone go to get colonics on a machine. In short, colon hydrotherapy is washing water in and getting waste out. And the thing is that the body tends to hold a tremendous amount of waste. And if we're talking about weight and weight loss, especially, we're talking about the body not going to get rid of toxins, which are held in the fat cells, until, literally, forgive my French, shit has come out. And then when shit comes out, the cells say, oh, hallelujah, let me drop and poop into the colon. Right? And then we go back in. That's why we have a series of colonics. Yeah? Colon hydrotherapy is meant to be done in a series. Moreover, Wood's gravity method of colon hydrotherapy does a system where it's restabilizing the internal musculature of the large intestine, the colon. You'll feel our colon hydrotherapists here, if you get a session, pumping on the tube. And that pump is sending a muscular signal to the colon, thereby rehabilitating it. It's like your colon's lifting weights. Yeah? And so, there we are. We're strengthening from the inside as well as from the outside. The other stuff that does it, hydration, right? Lots of water-containing fibrous matter, <clears throat> fruits and vegetables. That's what makes you poop. Suddenly, everything gets simple. And those of you who have been studying me with me for a while, you realize that I say the same thing over and over again a lot. Because it's really just that simple. And until we actually do it and practice it and take this knowledge and make it our own wisdom, right, we'll never really know. So does that answer a little bit? I know you were asking about hormones, and they do play another role for sure, especially later in life. But I believe in everyone's body. I believe in your body. I believe in your body's inherent ability to heal itself. Yeah? When we look at any kind of imbalance, for example, hormonal, Fasting, which, I mean, you mentioned that you were in cleansing. I'm not sure if you were in fasting. You don't have to answer. But just in general, fasting gives the body space to rebalance out hormones. All right? In fact, most parts of the endocrine system tend to be reset. Any kind of hormonal signaling. So I have a lot of people who come in and they decide on day one or day two of the detox retreat week, for example, I've been taking these antidepressants for six years. I don't want to take them anymore. Right? It's just this epiphany. Right? And so what would the doctor do? The doctor would, you know, wean them off, maybe slowly, or say, no, you know what, we should really keep you on them, right, for your entire life. And then the person says, well, what's the point of that? Same thing as chapstick theory. When you're taking the external hormones, whatever they are, if they're antidepressant or hormone replacement therapy, you're further imbalancing your body. Your body will not ever find health when you're taking that pharmaceutical medication, right? And so what ends up happening, and sometimes pharmaceutical medications can help and they're absolutely necessary. I don't mean to talk badly about them, but just if we're looking for true healing over the long term and really feeling good, not just that momentary high, you see how that taking that hormone replacement therapy is kind of like taking cocaine. I've never made that comparison before. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> over the long term, movement and cocaine, that's what I'm going to call this lecture, oh my God. If we really want to feel good, the hormonal system can balance itself out through this period of fasting. And this is what we see time and time again. When you come into fasting, right, your body is imbalanced. Over the time where you just say, body, you know what, figure your own self out, 
It'll slowly, over time, balance itself out. When you pair that with other practices, other healing modalities, for example, in our detox retreat week, we have clarity breath work. We have journaling, writing exercises. We have group sharing, right? We have daily intention setting. We have energy work. We have meditation, daily yoga, right? We're attacking it from all angles. And I don't mean to say attacking, it's not aggressive. But we're looking at this picture of paradigm and we're helping it move from all directions. We're encouraging things to be processed because it's never just one thing that caused the dis-ease and it'll never just be one thing that will heal the dis-ease. All right. Okay, I think we have time for one question. Yes, love. Yeah, so they're fasting programs based on green juice. Yeah. You've brought up the protein question. This will take a whole other hour. You guys have an hour? I do give whole lectures, lectures on protein itself. Um, essentially, my short answer is that the way you've asked your question is not a way in which I choose to answer it, right? Because you've made an inherent assumption that we need protein. And that's actually not my view. Because if we opened up a Western medical disease directory and we looked up deficiency of protein, we would find absolutely not one. If you are nourished, there is absolutely no way that you can be deficient in protein. And yet there's somehow that we're all running around saying, do you get enough protein? Where do you get your protein? How's your protein level? Right? And so there's, there's a very big misconception happening. And this directly happened from the guy who discovered what protein was. It was this thought of we can't have too much of a good thing. Right? And in my protein lecture, I go into the amino acids, right? And we look at the fact that all of the uh, 28 amino acids that exist, right? 19 of them are made in the liver. So they're produced inside, right? And the other nine of them, you can find all of them in a banana. So those six bananas, eight bananas. That's why you eat six bananas. I want to get my protein. (laughs) You see? So, okay, so that's that, all right? But... Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So you were asking about juicing specifically. So that's my short answer to the protein part, okay? As in juicing. So when you lose muscle mass, quite often what you're losing is not muscle mass. You're actually not losing necessarily amino acid chains or protein structures. You're losing inflammation to the muscle. You're losing excess blood flow to the muscle. Because when you're fasting, you're not usually building, tearing, and repairing, right? I teach anatomy on yoga teacher training, so I'm talking about muscle all day, every day, right? You're not sending blood flow there, and so inflammation is actually swelling, so the muscles do not look as big. Does that make sense? So it's another misconception that I would say you lose muscle mass. And it depends on what kind of fasting you're doing. The kind of fasting that we do here, and I recommend, is green juice fasting, which is very different than like a fruit juice fast or something like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, send me the article and I can give you more of a, a proper rundown. But yeah, so if people are doing fasting on their own, and again, in my podcast series, I have a do-it-yourself fasting lecture, right? I, my intention is to give as much information away for free as I can. 
Yeah, thankfully I'm supported here. I have a great job and I just want to help to transform people's lives and bring them back to that place of health and feeling good. So please do cash in on that. It's free. <laughs> All right. So thanks, guys. Any other questions that you still have, I have a forum for that. It's a Facebook page where I post multiple times per day information, new studies, facts, information about health, reminders, um, things like that. So you can come and take a picture of this and then join me there and I answer all messages on there personally. I also have a bunch of business cards that make great bookmarks or things to push around a table. <laughs> you can please come and take one of these. Um, there's information up here about our detox retreat and our cleanse program. The next cleanse intake starts tomorrow morning. You can take a flyer if you feel like now is a time that you really want to just wake the bleep up. The cleanse program, three-day fasting program. And um, do something. Now could be the chance, your chance. So uh, come and get one of those. I also teach yoga teacher trainings. I'll be teaching one in January and 500-hour uh, in advanced yoga teacher training in Thailand in May. If you're interested, come talk to me about that. Otherwise, I love you guys. You don't have to change anything. Keep being your beautiful selves. Just bring more consciousness in. So I'll see you next week. Good night. You're so welcome. Incredible people. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Remember, you don't have to change anything right away. Simply become more consciously aware. Tune in next time for more interpretations of our body signals. And don't forget to reprioritize your life around your health to live with maximum vitality.